The Bible says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. Now watch this statement, which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now I want to make a statement here. The word Gentile here doesn't mean just the people that were Gentile. Here it's in reference to a lost world. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You ever had anybody speak against you? This passage is for you. Father, magnify yourself, glorify yourself in what you say and what you do tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. When we come to verse 11, the tenor of this letter changes. You say, what do you mean it changes? Well, we've seen all the glorious truths about our great salvation that we have. We have just saw last Sunday and this Sunday about how we are the building of God, we are the temple of God we are the priesthood of God we're the chosen people of God we're the holy nation of God we're the peculiar people of God and now when you get to verse 11 from verse 11 all the way through the mid part of chapter 3 he now begins to say now in light of who you are in light of how God sees you in light of what God's done in you for you and through you. What should be our response? What should be the outflow of our life? And he begins to dwell on submission for the next chapter to chapter and a half. Because, listen, how many of you agree if you understand all that we looked at this morning, It's going to change how you live. Or let me put it another way. It ought to change how you live. Or you didn't understand it. And so he now begins to develop how these truths, understanding who you are as God sees you, he now begins to give admonitions concerning how those truths look like lived out. And he begins here in verse 11. He uses a couple words as one word in the Greek text. He says, dearly beloved. Now, understand, did did Peter have an affection for these that he was writing to? He did. But listen to what I'm about to say. What Peter is writing here is not concerning his affection for the people. He's writing here, and the vernacular leads us to understand that he's writing this as a reminder to the people. 
A reminder about what? That as God sees them, they are dearly beloved. Means that God has placed his love upon them. And God has manifested his love to them. And remember what we saw this morning? Because they are the special possession of God. God has not only shown his love to him, God has manifested his love by placing his love within them. In other words, they are all that we looked at this morning because God, remember Deuteronomy 7, because God loved them. Aren't you glad God manifested his love towards you and I? And so he's saying this as a reminder because he wants... Understand, these, these believers were being greatly persecuted. And he's reminding them of all these truths. And he says, now, dearly beloved, remind yourself you are loved of God. And then you find not only the reminder but the responsibility. Because here's the backdrop to this. If I am... If his love has been placed in me and upon me, how many of you agree today that comes with a great responsibility? Because God manifests his love to us, places his love in us, remember this morning, that we would show forth the excellency, the praise of him. So he's drawing that back and he's saying, listen, you are dearly beloved. God's placed his love upon you. God's placed his love in you. And with that reminder, remind yourself there's great responsibility to that love. How many of you agree today when you married your spouse? That love relationship, that love covenant that you entered into with your spouse came with responsibility. Responsibility to be faithful. Responsibility to love. No matter in sickness or in death or in any other way. It came with great responsibility. But you know, it's amazing. Here's what takes place. The people that we say we love the most are the people that we're the most critical to. And about. You say, why is that? I won't tell you why. Because you get comfortable and you let your guard down. And a lot of times what happens with the Lord, if you're not careful, and the reason we need to be reminded of these truths is this, you get so comfortable with your relationship with the Lord, you begin to let your guard down and you forget the responsibility that comes with that love. And so Peter is addressing these believers and he says, listen, remind yourself, you are dearly, not just beloved, you are dearly beloved. Now, he lays that groundwork and then you see the appeal of Peter. Because with that groundwork, now he begins to get into the aspects of this responsibility, the aspects of this submission. He said, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust. Now, 
Let me deal with these words just a minute with you, okay? The first thing you're going to find is the mindset in the plea. When he says, I beseech you, here's the way it's interpreted. It's the same word used in Romans 12, 1, where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And the word beseech means I plead with you. I beg you. I urge you. In other words, here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, listen, in, in respect to who you are, a royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, his people for purchase, you're his people for possession. He said on the basis of that, that you are dearly beloved. He said, I urge you. I plead with you. I beg you. Abstain from fleshly love. But notice the mindset here. He says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. In other words, I beseech you that have a proper mindset of not only who you are, but who you're not. See, here's the thing. We need to know who we are as God sees us. But we also need to understand who we're not. And listen, if you're saved today, you're not a citizen of this world. He's drawing from Abraham. The Bible says that God came to Abraham and told Abraham, to get out of the country he was in. And here's what God said to Abraham. When you get out of this country, you're going to get out from all your kindred and your father's house. You're going to leave your family behind. Unto a land that I will show you. Now here's what's amazing about that verse. God didn't tell him where he was sending him. I have people all the time tell me, well, family comes first. Well, you didn't need to tell Abraham that. God said, leave your family behind. And you go out to a land that I will show you. And so here's Abraham. Hebrews 11 puts him in the hall of faith. You know why? Part of the reason because he obeyed this command of God. And he left everything. Going to a country he didn't know, but looking for a home that was coming one day. And here was Abraham now, a man of his own dwelling, but now a man who was a pilgrim and a stranger, journeying around as God would direct him day by day by day by day. And can I tell you something? The day God saved you, God separated you from everything else unto himself. And the day God saved you, listen, you may be an American citizen by right of government, but you are a citizen of heaven only by right of salvation. And you and I are pilgrims and strangers. Well, here was the catch. Lot didn't understand this. 
You say, how do you know? Because Lot, the Bible says, set his dwelling in Sodom. How much did he set his dwelling in Sodom? Well, the Bible tells us that not only did he pitch his tent towards Sodom, but the Bible tells us that he became part of the legislator of Sodom. Uh, listen, he became part of the ruling body of Sodom. I mean, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah that was of adultery and of promiscuity and of very vile sins. And here was a man that was legislating over a people that wanted nothing to do with God. You say, why? Because he thought it would please him. He said, I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you. But I can only do it if you have the right mindset that you're a pilgrim and soldier. Now listen to me. Nothing that I'm about to read or give you from this word will have any effect upon you if you don't first see yourself as a pilgrim and soldier, if you don't see that your life here is temporal and the only thing that matters is the heavenlies, then you're not going to have any desire for this admonition that he's about to give. Okay? You say, why? Because it's going to be about you and not about him. And so, this is the mindset in the plea. But notice the message in the plea. He says, dearly beloved, I beg you, I urge you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. And what does this word abstain mean? It means to push away from, to to get us far away from, to resist with all, have nothing to do with. What's the word lust mean? It means desires. The word here, fleshly, is the word we translate carnal. So in other words, carnal desires, self-centered desires. Now I want you to listen to me just a minute. I'm going to tell you truth, and then I'm going to tell you the reality of the truth. Walking in fleshly desires are pleasing to our humanity for a season. Are y'all hearing me say amen? You say, preacher, how can you say that? Because if it wasn't, you and I would never have to battle with it. See, we walk in these desires sometimes, or we give ourselves to sin sometimes. You know why? Because you think you'll enjoy it. You think it'll make you happy. You think it'll make you feel good. But you know, here's what's amazing. Every single person that I've ever counseled with that are tied up in fleshly desires and they've become habitual in their life, they're absolutely miserable. Every single one. I can't tell you one person in 25 years of counseling with people that ever came to me and said, Preacher, man, I'm involved in this. It's, it's, it's something I've given myself to, and I love it, and I don't want to stop doing it. i got news for you. Every one of them says, I want to stop. 
They're miserable. He says, abstain from. Boy, I found this quote. Donald, you'll like this one. D.L. Moody, here's what he said. D.L. Moody said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than any man I know. See, a lot of us think our problem is somebody else. No, our problem is ourselves. D.L. Moody had an understanding of it. Paul had an understanding of it. Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. You see, here's the message. Abstain. Get away from. Deal with. Your carnal desires. But notice this. Not only the mindset and the plea, sojourners, pilgrims, the message in the plea of stain from, but notice the motivation in the plea, which war against the soul. Now, what's this word war mean? Here's what it means. To launch a campaign of war against your soul. Now, what's the word soul? Well, it's your mind, your emotions, and your will. What is the motivation that we should abstain from? We, we should recognize these fleshly carnal desires, and we should do everything to yield and submit to the Lord that those desires don't play themselves out in our lives. I want to tell you why. Because if you don't, you are allowing and you are declaring war against your own soul. Your mind will be affected. You'll begin to think crookedly. You'll begin to think differently. All of a sudden, you won't begin to dwell upon the things of God and the truths of God. You'll begin to think self-centered. Let me tell you what will happen. If you're saved today and you give yourself to these fleshly desires, you'll begin to think like you used to think before God saved you. You'll begin to think selfishly. And you'll begin to think that everything is about you and everything is about what you want and what you desire, when you want it, how you want it. And all of a sudden, here's what's going to happen. When you don't get your way, you'll kick out of the traces. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Go to most Baptist business meetings, you'll find it out. I'm glad we don't have that problem here. Y'all say amen. You go to most churches. I want to tell you what most churches are known for. Not a move of God. Most churches are known for their business meetings. I, had a, I was visiting a man one time, a long time ago, Brandon. I had visited a man one time, and, he, and I said to him, I said, where do you go to church? He said, well, I only go occasionally, but I go to this church. And he named the church. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Why do you only go occasionally? Well, I only go when they have business meetings because it's entertaining. I said, what makes it entertaining? Oh, he said, you ought to hear him fight. It's wonderful. I got news for you. Here's what I told him. I said, no, that ain't wonderful. That's tragic. See, here's my problem. Listen, guys, I'm going to chase a rabbit, but I promise I'll shoot it. Y'all say amen. You know why I have so much problem about making salvation about man instead of about the glory of God? 
Because you teach salvation is about man. You teach salvation is what man does. And you teach people salvation is about what you get out of it. Here's what's going to happen. When you make it about man, when they get crossed, it's going to be about man. When they don't get their way, it's going to be about man. When they want their way, it's going to be about man. And they'll stand up and call you blessed. But if it's the glory of God, if God saved me for His glory alone, then guess what? If I don't get my way, to God be the glory. Amen. I shot it. You didn't know I hunted, did you, Howie? It wars against your soul. Galatians tells us this very truth. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, This I say thee, walk in the Spirit, that you shall not fulfill the lust, the desires of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They're warring against each other. They're contrary to one another. They're at war with each other, and they are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, I want you to get the last phrase. It's not that you don't want to do. You cannot do. My office has been full of people over the years, 25 years, wherever I've pastored, of people coming to me tied up in various things and I tell them, you need to get rid of that stuff. You need to do everything that is necessary to separate yourself from it. And they would say, preacher, I, I've, got to, I've got to do that. I've got to do that. I've got to do that. I can't take it anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And I'll say, all right, here's the way you can do this. And I began to lay out how they can do it. And they say, I can't do that. They want to. But they cannot do what they want to do. By the way, the Apostle Paul struggled with this same thing. You find it in Revelation chapter, Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, here's what Paul said. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do. The things I know I should do, I shouldn't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be unto God. And David came to the revelation of what it means to walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not mentioned in Revelation 6. The Holy Spirit's not mentioned in Revelation 7. But the Holy Spirit is mentioned numerous times in, in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, no mention of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, mentioned many times. Paul began to understand that if I walk in the Spirit, now watch it. I will not. Now notice the contrast. If I walk in the flesh, I cannot do what I would like to do. But if I walk in the Spirit, I will not do what I shouldn't do. Isn't that amazing? Well, so you see the address of Peter. You see the appeal of Peter. 
But I want you to look thirdly and lastly tonight the application of Peter. Look at verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evil doers. The word conversation means your lifestyle, your conduct. How you live moment by moment, day by day. And he says, having your conversation. In other words, abstain from fleshly lust with war against the soul. And in turn, having your conversation, your lifestyle, your conduct. Honest among the Gentiles. Now I want to look at this word honest. I want you to look at the representation of the saved. This word honest. It means honorable. Now, when we think of the word honest, we, mean, we think of it in the terms of being truthful. Okay? Well, how many of you agree, if you're not truthful, you're not honorable? So there is a fabric to that. So what does it mean having your conduct or your lifestyle honest before the Gentiles? The very Gentiles that are speaking against you. Here's what it means. That your lifestyle and your conduct. Are y'all sitting down? Say amen. Your lifestyle or your conduct before a lost world tells the truth about who you say you are. Who are you? Chosen people royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people. So when I'm allowing my flesh and the desires of my flesh and I'm giving myself to those desires and I'm doing that in front of others and yet I'm saying I'm one of God's children. Here's what I'm doing. I'm either lying about who I think I am or I'm lying to them about who I am. I'm not being honest. I'm not being honorable. And so, guess what? We represent what is true about who we are before a lost and dying world. Now, I'm going to make this I'm going to make this real, real simple, okay? If you're saved today, you live in a glass house. Everybody's watching. Everybody's looking. Everybody's examining. I have people tell me, well... What I do in private's nobody's business. I got news for you. What you do in private will manifest itself outwardly. Let somebody cross you if you're living in private sin and find out how you respond. It will manifest itself. So here's what he says. Abstain for. Why? You're beloved. You're dearly beloved. And let your life 
be honest about who you really are. You see, here's the truth. If I asked anybody in any church in America, if I asked you a question, any church in America, if I asked anybody in any church in America, here's, here's going to be probably 99.9% of what I'm going to be asked, what I'm going to be told. If I asked anybody in any church in America, if I asked you a question, will you be bluntly honest and not lie to me? Oh, yeah, I don't lie. And yet Sunday night they're at a bar. Did they speak a lie? Maybe not. But can I tell you, our actions tell a greater story than our words. Y'all say amen. amen. Now watch it. We're represent, representatives of the saved. You say, well, preacher, I didn't sign up to live in a glass house. That's not what I signed up for when God saved me. I'm sorry. It comes with the territory. It's kind of like you, you've heard of famous actors or actresses or, or famous uh, sports stars that quit their sport or quit acting. And they say, the reason I quit is because I'm tired of living in the public eye. And I'm not going to play that sport anymore because I just want to be with my family and I want to live in privacy. And they try to hide themselves. Well, I got news for you. A sports person can quit. An actress can quit. An actor can quit. And they can find them an island somewhere where nobody knows they are, build a mansion on it, live by themselves, and get out of the public eye. But if you're a child of God, you're never, ever going to be out of the public eye. And by the way, if you're a child of God, you never, ever want to be out of the eye of the public. Because that's our witness. That's our testimony. That is showing forth the excellency of our God. The reality of the saved. He said, having a conversation honest among the Gentiles, that, these same Gentiles, that you're to live honest among, that were as they speak against you as evildoers. Let me put it to you in, in, in simple English. They slandered you. Now, what specifically is he talking about? The Christians of that day were being accused of unbelievable stuff. Matter of fact, Nero accused them of burning down Rome. They were accused of of murder. They were accused of atrocities. They were accused of many things. And they were being slandered and slandered and slandered and outcast and outcast and outcast. And here's Peter's admonition. Among those that are slandering you the most, live more honest in front of those than anybody else. You ever had somebody just get in your grill all the time? You ever had somebody that when you get around them, you, in your mind, you're just thinking, oh, no, here we go again. Y'all never had anybody? Come on, don't make me feel like a heathen. Y'all never had anybody like that? Let me tell you the best thing you can do. Live above reproach in front of them. 
Live honest to who you are in front of. Why? Because watch what it says. Notice the results of the same. That they may by your good work, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now here's, here's our humanity. Y'all ready? Those that slander me, Let them do it again. I'll tell them what's for. Come on, folks. Y'all are looking at me like I'm only heathen in here. You know in your flesh, you're in your mind saying, if they say one more word to me, I'm going to let them have it. And then you justify it. Because I have rights to share my opinion. No, you gave up those rights the day God saved you. (laughs) Anyway. Well, I can tell this is going over like a lead balloon. (laughs) I think somebody's about to pop it, Brandon. I'm not sure. You know how we are. But can I tell you something out of love? Whoever slanders you the most, don't hold a candle to what you did to God. Did he manifest his good works through Christ before you? Walk above reproach. Walk. Notice this, the activity that exposes. Here's what it says. That... They may buy your good works. The activity of your life will expose. Expose what? Two things. It'll expose who you are. And it'll expose who they are. How many agree a lost person's always going to be lost if they don't see themselves the way God sees them? Have you ever thought that your worst enemy? Have you ever thought that God may have determined that it's through you and you alone by living above board and, and washing their feet and loving the unlovable that they'll be exposed that as critical and as vile as they are to you that there's something different about you? The activity that exposes. The appeal that expresses. He says, which they shall behold. Now the word behold simply means something far more than just see. The word behold means that they will be captivated by. It'll have an appeal to them. How many of you ever seen somebody do something And you just stood back and, wow. Y'all ever had that happen? Hey, listen, if you never had it happen, just go to the mall. You'll see it every store. 
Watch how some people dress. You'll go, wow. But after you go, wow, turn around and get out. Y'all say amen. Abstain from. <laughs> Isn't that right, Mickey? Hey, I want to tell you something. But what about if the world sees us? And they go, wow. You see, there's an appeal of what they see. If we live honest before them of who we are that expresses who we really are. Lastly, and I'm done. The effect that exalts. The effect that exalts. It says that by your good works which they shall behold, be captivated by. Glorify God. Now I want to put this in its proper text. They shall glorify God. Who are they? The ones that reviled you. The ones that slandered you. The ones that were captivated by your good works. The ones that saw the Lord Jesus living himself through you. The ones that saw you love them even though they ridiculed you. The ones that saw you instead of ignoring them. The ones that saw you draw to them. Love on them. Wash their feet. It says they, those same people, will glorify God in the day of visitation. You say, how's that going to happen? They get exposed. And you express the nature and character of God in front of them. They get under conviction. God saves them. The day of visitation means when God comes, when God comes to usher His people, when God comes to visit His people, in that day they will be numbered with the redeemed. And when they're numbered with the redeemed, hey, I want to tell you, here's what it's going to be. He is worthy! He is worthy! He is worthy! He is worthy! Worthy is the Lamb! Worthy is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. They're going to be part of a chorus singing in heaven. They're going to be part of the ones before the throne praising and exalting the Lord Jesus. You know why? Because they saw something that exposed them. You say, well, preacher, isn't God going to be glorified with the lost? He is. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But what this passage is saying, is they'll see something different. And when the visitation comes, let me tell you something. God visits in two dimensions. He's going to visit in mercy and grace. And he's going to visit in judgment. And when he comes, whether mercy, grace, or judgment, they're going to be able to say, glory to the Lamb. conduct that's honoring. Father, I stand amazed. I stand in awe. 
that you in your glory and in your majesty chose that the only visual and audible representation of you would be through your chosen people, your royal priesthood, your holy nation, your peculiar people, your people for possession. You chose that you would only show yourself through your church. Father, there may be folks here today that they just have to be honest. That their life tells the truth about them when they're around their friends, family. But Father, when they're around someone that slandering them, misusing them, wrongfully treating them. They just have to be honest and say, my life's not telling the truth about who I am. Maybe they just need to say, Father, I confess that. Forgive me. Father, we'll never know till we get to glory how many people looked in our glass house. And saw something different through which your Holy Spirit used as the word was exposed to them. To bring conviction. Father, I remember the day my wife was saved. She looked at me and speaking of our pastor's wife, Pam Wilson. She looked at me and she said, honey, whatever that woman has, I don't have it. May a lost world look at us and say, Whatever they have, I don't have it. But when we get to glory, we'll know. We'll know how many have entered into eternal bliss because we were honest in our conduct of who we are. Oh, but Father, at the Bema Seat of Christ, we'll also know who were turned off to the gospel because our conduct told a lie about who we really were. Father, may we take this appeal seriously. Father, there may be individuals here that 
just have to admit, they know they're miserable. Because there's things in their life they know shouldn't be there. Maybe tonight, you're working brokenness, sorrow that leads to repentance in them. They need to come and get on an old-fashioned altar and just come clean with you. You already know it. They can't hide it. Because they'll never find peace anywhere else but you. Manifest yourself in this invitation in Jesus' name. And all God's children said...